0: Hey, good to see you today. Welcome to Southfield. Uh, I'm the one that typically uh, assigns the songs for the beginning and the end of the service, and if I could, we'd play that one every week. There's joy in the house of the Lord, and I love as that song song is playing, listening to all of you, enjoying connecting and being together. Uh, It's so good to be a part of of this family. Uh, My sidekick is not here yet, So they are driving, Brian and Riley and Emmett live in Frankfurt, and my understanding is today that that wonderful bridge, remember the one that was going to collapse until it wasn't? So anyway, (laughs) that bridge, that bridge, um, amazing what a little gas tax will do. It fixes everything. But anyway, I'll leave that alone. Um, Yeah, they're stuck somewhere there right now. There's an accident over on that bridge, so be praying for the people that are involved in the accident and eventually he'll show up but until then here's what you're gonna find out is when Brian's here this beginning part goes a whole lot faster so (laughs) you're gonna get out early today what a happy day you have ahead the main thing that is going on in the update that we just want to repeat again and again and again is that we're down to the last two weeks for small group leaders uh, for quest and I can't stress enough the importance of the role of the small group leader i've done the role myself i love it uh, it gives you an opportunity to connect all day long with a group of kids and to have an impact and influence on them for an entire day you're not only guiding them from place to place but you're getting involved in conversations with them sometimes it's literally a conversation about their, their eternal destiny and i gotta tell you and i'll talk about this a little bit more this morning but i am grateful that i had people in my life older people in my life that took the faith walk of a child seriously that believed that a child of seven years old could come to a place of faith in jesus christ and could have a relationship with him i'm grateful for those people they mean so much to me and they're they're the people in eternity that i will be running up to and saying thank you thank you for caring enough to invest in me and so it may mean that uh you need to take a little bit of time off work in order to do that hey do it this is this is this is the gold of the kingdom of god this is this is what eternity is all about and so really want to encourage you to to get signed up for that here's the way quest works just so you know we can only take in as many kids as we have group leaders Uh, we don't believe in a a, a a small group of 27 kids that wouldn't be a small group right We want it small enough that they're able to have meaningful conversations, meaningful connections. So uh, make sure you jump in on that. And again, there's a a link in the update that you can go to and, and learn more. Or if you're stumped on technology stuff, just head out to the Info Hub today and they'd be glad to talk through with you. We also have our, our parent night out coming here in, in just a very short time, really excited about that opportunity. And again, you know, we, we talked about the fact that this is, giving, this is giving literally one family who contacted us a chance to get out for the first time since 2013. So I'm just amazed that it's been, it's been a long, long time since they've been able to have some time together. So I'm glad that we've been able to, to do that ministry and uh, look, forward, look forward to the opportunity that that's gonna bring. We are down to the final day of our growing deeper series. It's hard to believe. I mean, remember we started this all the way back when it was snowing. Oh, wait, it still is. So, uh, <laughs> what in the world is broken with March? Oh my word. I went outside. Actually, I was my family were in a we're in a group text text thing going these days and Uh, yesterday morning i took three pictures of me under a blanket and just said i'm not moving from here today it's too cold to do anything but anyway eventually it'll break the sun will come the warm will come again we've been doing this now for several weeks looking at different important doctrines of the christian faith and uh and in looking at those doctrines we all we've also looked at the other side we've looked at heresy We've looked at lack of truth. Um, Brian talked last week, and I think it's a really good point, that when you're, when you're trying to identify a counterfeit bill, a counterfeit dollar, uh, that, that the people that learn to do that, they don't study a bad bill, they study the good bill. And so it's important in understanding our faith that we begin by studying the Bible, that we begin by studying the good bill, that we begin by studying the truth, And as we study the truth, what happens is, when error comes up, something doesn't smell right, something doesn't look right. We're like, what's wrong here? And it gives us that quicker recognition. So it's important to know the truth, but I think it's also important to point out error and say, this is what error looks like. If you remember, all the way back at the beginning of this series, I put a couple of graphs on the screen for you of a survey that's been done in the past couple of years of the beliefs of evangelical Christians and where their beliefs are on some of the absolute fundamental things associated with faith. Let me show two of them to you again. And one of them is this concept of all faiths basically lead to a relationship with God. It said, the percentage of U.S. evangelicals who agree, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And you can see in 2022, the percentage of evangelicals that are in that camp has grown to almost 60%. It's 56% of evangelical Christians that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, they put a comma and say, except all the other ways too. Jesus puts a period at the end of that sentence. He says, I am the only way to God. And yet we find ourselves in an era of saying, well, maybe there are other ways, maybe there are other roads. The other one was this idea that people are good by nature, if you've ever driven. I don't know how you can believe that. But (laughs) percentage who agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Now, you know, I think that fundamentally we'd love to believe that. We'd love to believe that we all start out pure, we all start out innocent, and then somewhere along the line, we steal our first cookie and the slide begins and we start to sin. But the reality is we're born with a sin nature. We inherit that from our father, Adam. We sin by nature and by choice. And again, 57% of evangelicals are saying people are basically good by nature. So you, you can see that we're not headed to a good place. If we believe that all roads lead to God and that people are fundamentally good, then why in the world even declare the gospel to people? But we know this is not the truth. So the heresy today is universalism. Universalism. And uh it's been around for a long time. This isn't a new one. There are churches that literally have it in their name. Unitarian universalist means they believe all roads lead to God. You'll get there no matter what. Christian universalism contends that the individual's destiny is not fixed at death, and that ultimately everyone will be saved by Christ. So, you have chances in this life, and you have chances in the life to come in order to ultimately end up in heaven with God. Uh, This has got a few problems, right? First of all, it's, it's a great distortion of the love of God. I think very often when people fall in the universalist camp, they exclusively emphasize the love of God. They ignore His justice. They ignore His wrath. They ignore His hatred of sin. They ignore all those other things, and they just say, God is love, God is love, God is love. And what they really say is, God is a permissive parent. God is a permissive parent. A permissive parent lets their kid do whatever they want. And I'm telling you today, permissive parenting is not loving. No matter what people may be saying right now about letting your kid do whatever they want to do, permissive parenting is not loving. Permissive parenting is hateful. You don't love your kid if you're being a permissive parent. God is not a permissive parent. So they distort the love of God. They dismiss the concepts of eternal punishment. They just look and say, don't read those verses. Those aren't really true. They were put there allegorically to kind of scare you a little bit, but ignore that stuff. They dismantle the Bible's teaching on salvation. Uh, They might say, I am a way, a truth, a life. In fact, if you go, if you go to a universalist church website and just look at what they believe, you know what they believe? Everything. You'll be stunned if you go explore their website. They believe everything except John 14, 6. They don't believe, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But they believe in every religion in the world. They believe in in Martians. They believe in everything, everything. It dismantles the Bible's teaching on salvation. And they decide to ignore many, many, many biblical texts texts like this one that say it is appointed unto every person once to die and after that the judgment not it's appointed once to die and then another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance die that's it the decision needs to be made in this life which is why the mission of god is so important we have work to do here and now there are no second chances it would be great if there were but the bible does not teach that there are revelation 20 i saw a great white throne And one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't want to be judged according to what I've done. I want to be judged according to the righteousness of Jesus. It's the only way I'm going to have a relationship with God. If this is about the good that I've done, and I'm telling you what, generally I'm pretty good. I even let people pass me when we're driving, things like that. Generally, I'm pretty good. And God's going to say, and generally good isn't good enough. It's about the righteousness of Christ. The sea gave up its dead, and the dead in the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire this verse is true it's not a fairy tale it's not an allegory it's true the words of jesus if you believe no one else if you want to say john doesn't know what he's talking about how about jesus who happens to be god not everyone who calls out to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter on judgment day many will say lord lord i went to southfield lord lord i was a good evangelical Lord, Lord, I worked at the food pantry. Lord, Lord, I I was a quest small group leader. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. And he will say, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. He's clear. It's about a relationship with him. And that is it. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Universalism is heresy. There is one way to a relationship with God, and his name is Jesus. And so, Father God, today, I pray that we would not be so quick to simply buy into our opinions what seems to make sense to us and that we would instead realize that your word is truth. And the times that there's a disagreement between our minds and our hearts and your word, your word trumps our minds. Your word is the truth, and we choose to obey and follow the truth. Even in the times that we look and say, that is uncomfortable, I don't like that. I wish it were different. God, I pray that we would instead come to this place of realizing that, that the only Thing that really matters is what you say, and we will conform to your word and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. We love the mission of God. That's where we are today. This doctrine is called the doctrine of missiology. Um, and basically talking about the mission that God has given us in the world. I got to tell you, when I hear the word mission and associated with church, the word missionary still pops to my mind. It's reflexive. It's just, it's part of what was ingrained in me from the very beginning of my childhood. At seven years old, we start going to a new church, and the pastor of that church, Pastor Wilhite, had been a missionary along with his family in the Philippines for 20 years. He contracted a lung disease over there and had to come back home to the States, and he came to our church. And so we not only heard beautiful teaching of Scripture, but we heard story after story after story of his experiences as a missionary in the Philippines. These are the days that you didn't jump on the jet and head on over a few hours later. These are the days you packed your steamer trunk and you went on a ship with him, all six of his kids, on the ship over to the Philippines, and you would be there for four years, for Years, you would have no contact with your friends and family. You wouldn't be making phone calls. You did that thing, airmail. Remember the the letter that had the little U.S. flag all the way around it, and you didn't send very much because those letters were expensive. You were disconnected from everything, and he'd tell us those stories. In our Bible school and sometimes in our Sunday school, they would have missionaries in. I remember this one guy, I don't remember his first name, but his last name was Amstotz. He was was a missionary to South America. And this guy walks in with all these snake skins from South America, including the snake skin of a boa constrictor. And he has a kid come up and he wraps the kid in the boa constrictor skin and says, now that thing's going to pull real tight and you're going to croak. I mean, it was the best. You know, we're learning all these things about these foreign cultures. But, but this one woman in particular, I would, I would credit this one woman in particular for my salvation and for my calling to ministry. Her name was Miss Gellert, Ann Gellert. Ann Gellert, at the time I knew her, was in her 70s, although admittedly I was seven, so she might have been 40. But anyway, <laughs> she's in her 70s. She had been a single missionary to Africa all of her life. All of her life, she'd just go over to tell people about Jesus. The literal grass hut. And she'd tell story after story after story along with her flannel graph. I know we have this cool video now. We used to have these things that we'd stick to the board. And and she'd tell the stories of Jesus, but she'd also tell the stories of Africa. Africa. To the point that it was not even a full year that I had been a part of that church. And in our church growing up, when you made a decision for Jesus, you'd walk an aisle. And one Sunday night in October, I walked up the aisle and I said, I will do anything and go anywhere for Jesus. I will do anything and go anywhere for Jesus. Jesus. I was, so, I was just so committed from seven years old, I will go anywhere and do anything for Jesus. And I imagine I'd, I'd be going to Japan or I'd be going to Africa or I'd be going to South America, and God says, how about Joliet for 30 years? And I'm like, <laughs> I said I'd go anywhere and do anything for Jesus, and here I am, here I am. I, I'm grateful for people like Ann Geller who are willing to share their experience and say, hey kid, God has a mission and he wants you to be a part of it. Do you want to be a part of the mission of God? That word mission doesn't only relate to missionaries. There are other meanings. In fact, if you look in the dictionary, the two primary meanings are a specific specific task with which a person or group is charged. What's the charge God has given you? What's the charge God has given us as a group of people? What's the mission? It can also be your calling or your vocation. This is the mission God has given me in my life. For, her, for the example here, it says her, missionary, her mission was to be a teacher. She had this, this goal, this passion, this drivenness in life to be a teacher. God has a mission for us. He has a mission for each of us individually, and he has a mission for us collectively collectively. In Ephesians 2:10 we quoted often that we are God's workmanship his work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do before you were born God knew where you would be why you would be and what you would do he placed you here now for a purpose he has a mission for you he has a mission for you personally and he has a mission for us collectively as a church how do we know what the mission is? I, I, for me personally, I think it's really helpful to look to Jesus. To know our mission, we look to Jesus. We look at what he did, and we look at what he said. And when you look at what Jesus did, it's a little crazy. It's, it's just a little, it's not, if I were God, this is not the way I'd come in the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to be born in a barn 2,000 years ago. No, I'd I'd be in a nice, I'd be waiting until 2023 when I can go to Loyola Hospital where I'm nice and protected and kept from all the junk. I'd I'd make sure I was born into a family with some influence so that you have an immediate, an immediate leg up. He's born into a barn to extremely poor people. Says something about our mission. And then he, he finally comes into his public ministry and what does he do? He goes and buys this mega church this huge, this huge, huge place that can seat 50,000 people, because every week he's going to bring it. He's going to have the best worship team in the universe, and you're going to listen to 30 minutes of the best preaching you ever heard. He doesn't do it this way. He chooses 12 people that any of the rest of us would go, really? I mean, really? These guys? And he says, we're going to live together for three years, and I am just going to rub off on you. And you're going to listen, and you're going to watch, and you're going to learn, and we're going to do this together. And 2,000 years later, we are here because of the approach Jesus took, a relational approach. Not just a declaration approach, but a relational approach influencing people for the kingdom of God. The way Jesus did the mission impacts us. But it's also what he said. I went through the New Testament for all the phrases where he said something like this. I have come to. When someone says, I have come to, this is why I've come, we need to listen to, why did they say, this is why I came? Why am I here? This is why I came. And some of these are going to stun you a little bit, okay? First of all, he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. No, I've come to fulfill them. So he says, I have come so that everything you heard in the Old Testament will be fulfilled in this one person. And you'll know. You'll know. This is the reason all this was written. I have come to fulfill the law. He also says in 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 Matthew chapter ten, get this, okay? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his old household. I don't know about you, but I'm going like, wait a second. I thought Christian was all about kumbaya. What's this noise? Jesus is saying, I'm going to come not to bring peace, but I'll actually bring some division. What in the world is he saying there? He, He goes on in Luke 12. He says, I have come to bring fire on earth. He says, I wish we were already already kindled. And he talks about what he's going to have to go through. He says, do you think I come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, I bring division. And he goes on again to say, this person will be pitted against that person. What is he talking about? He's saying, you know what happens when you own truth? Some people don't like to hear the truth. And you don't water down the truth. You don't be offensive in your method. But let's face it, the gospel offends. And he says, I've come to bring a message of clarity, not a message of mush. That's what the world is trying to sell us, a message of mush that everybody will go, well, that sounds good. He says, no, this this is the definitive truth. Elsewhere, he says, let's go somewhere to the nearby villages so I can preach. This is why I've come. So he says, "Part part of the reason I've come is to declare the truth to people. He says in John 6, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I've come to do God's will. John 8, if God were your father, he's talking to the Pharisees, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. I have come because I'm a sent one, because someone sent me. When he's talking to the blind man who finally realizes he's talking to Jesus after, he, after he's sighted, he, he's talking to you, Jesus says, do you know who I am and all this sort of stuff? He starts worshiping Jesus. And Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. He says, I've, I've, come, I've come to reveal truth so that the blind can see and so those who think they can see will actually realize they can't see at all. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief only comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full." What's interesting is Jesus gives all these different reasons that he came, right? He says, I've come to fill the law. I've come to disturb the peace. I've come to preach. I've come to do the will of my Father. I've come from God for God. I've come to restore spiritual sight, to expose spiritual blindness, and to give life and give it to the full. And in reality, Those are not eight different things. It's all the same thing. He's saying, I have come from the Father for the Father to restore to the Father. This is why I'm here. I've been sent by the Father on behalf of the Father to bring people into relationship with God, to restore people to the Father. He says definitively in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so when we look at our own mission in light of Jesus, we have to ask the question, what is the mission of the church? And what is the mission of every one of us as an individual? I love this. In John 20, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. He says, I was sent by the Father, and now I'm sending you to do a work in this world. Your Christianity isn't just a nice little add-on to the rest of your life. This is your mission. This is your life calling. Your life calling is the same life calling as that of Jesus. He says with clarity, at the very end of his life, he's about to lift up into the sky, and he says, all authority is given on me and given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and be sure of this, I'll be with you always to the end of the age." He declares the mission. We don't have to have a committee to get together and say, what should the mission of Southfield be? It is there in absolute clarity, right there in Scripture. He says, here is the mission. This is the reason I'm leaving you on this earth. Do this. Let's break it down a little bit. First of all, he says, I'm sending you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, I have the right and the power to be the sender. I have the authority to do this. And he says, I'm not only sending you, I'll be with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you do. Ann Gellert is is in a, a grass hut in Africa as a single missionary. She is not alone. Christ is with her. You're never alone. And then you get into the action words of the verse. Four action words as we see them. Go, make disciples, baptize them and teach them to obey you have four actions going on in this verse but as you look at the four actions if you if you can get behind the screen a little bit and look at the original language what you find out is that even though there are four actions there's only one verb there's only one main action in this in this passage all the rest are participles here we go again english class right participles tell us how to do the verb They tell us what you're supposed to do with the verb. They tell us how the verb operates. The only verb here is make disciples. He says, this is your mission on earth. I want you to be a disciple-making machine, church. And I want every individual in the church involved in the disciple-making process. That is it. Everything else is fluff, clutter, and noise all the nice things that we try to get involved in as, as the church as a church all these things that we jump onto this that and the other it's all a distraction if it's not about making disciples we're pretty laser-focused about this around here. If it's not a disciple-making thing, it may be something that's nice for someone to do, but the Church of Jesus Christ is the only disciple-making institution in the world. None of the others do it. Nobody, Government isn't going to pick up the slack on making disciples. They'll catch all kinds of other things, but this is the one true mission of the church, collectively and individually, make disciples. How do we do it? Well, he says you do it, first of all, by going. You don't just sit in the holy huddle. You don't just stay collected here and, you know, and, and monk away. You get out there. And in reality, when you look at this participle, it's a present active participle. You hear present and active. You know what that means? It's not something that's a once and done, or it's not something that's just in the future. It's ongoing. As you are going would be a better interpretation As you're going, make disciples. So it's not just you're teaching this week of quest and I've been making disciples. It's you're going to work and you're making disciples. You're going to school and you're making disciples. You're in your neighborhood and you're making disciples. You're in your house with your kids and you're making disciples just like Jesus did. He didn't say, hey guys, Sunday I got a great sermon for you, but for now just leave me alone. He was with them every minute of every day teaching them what it looked like to be like him and to do his work. We do it by going. We do it by baptizing them. Baptizing them is is the symbol of bringing people into the kingdom of God sharing with them that they can be reconciled to god that they can have a relationship with god and then teaching them to obey i love that you just say teaching them he's he's not saying i just want a bunch of fact-filled christians walking around he's saying i want people who learn what the word of god says so they can put it to action it's not just teaching it's teaching to obey It's teaching how to live what we've learned. All three of these things define how we make disciples. So every one of us, whether it is collectively as a church or individually, is in this process of going, spreading the influence of Christ, bringing people into a relationship with God, and teaching them along the way what it means to be a devoted Christ follower. So what does a disciple look like? If you were looking at yourself, ask the question, am I a disciple or not? What does a disciple look like? I'm going to give you several marks of a disciple. The first is that they're connected to Christ. There's a relationship with Jesus. He's not just someone I think about or talk about, someone with whom I have an actual relationship. It's someone who identifies with Jesus. This isn't a closet Christian, I just, I just keep my Jesus to me. It's someone who actually identifies as a Christ follower. They're growing in obedience. To Christ. They they live out a clear sense of calling. There's a clear sense that God has given them a mission to do in this world, to be involved in making disciples. A disciple dies little deaths every day. That is not a great selling point, right? We want to hear Christianity is all about abundance and wealth and and life's gonna get easier. And Jesus says, No, you're gonna die a little every day. Congratulations. (laughs) Disciples make disciples. And disciples not only grow in obedience to Christ, they grow in likeness to Christ. So let's look at each of these again a little bit more. And for this, I want to use John 15, the passage where he talks about the vine and the branches and abiding in Christ. Connected to Christ, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. He says every person, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it starts not just by being an expert on Jesus. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. It starts with a friendship with God through Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are are Christ's ambassadors. That's every one of us. We We speak on Christ's behalf. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so a person who is a disciple is a person who's been reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And they're in relationship with God through Jesus. They're connected to Jesus. They also identify with Jesus. John 15, 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. He says, I'm calling you a friend. I... I, I, when our, with our genuine friendships, you know what we tend to do? We tend to talk about our friends. I've not gossiped about them. We tend to talk good about our friends. We tend to talk excitedly about where we went with them or what we did with them or what they're like. And Jesus says, if you're a disciple, you're going to talk about me. And the first part of the conversation involves getting into water and allowing yourself to be put under the water and brought back up out of the water to say, I am a devoted follower of Jesus. And then we continue to identify with Christ, letting people know that we are in relationship with God. We grow in obedience to Christ. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know why so many of us are so incredibly joyless? We don't obey God. It's amazing the tie between obedience and joyfulness we're to be growing, constantly growing in obedience to Christ. And we're going to slip and we're going to fall and we're going to get it wrong. And then we stand back up, we ask for forgiveness and we keep moving. We're growing in obedience to Christ. A disciple lives out a clear calling. You did not choose me, just Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you so that you can go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And th- so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. He says for every one of us, we we are given a clear calling. The the ultimate generic calling for all of us is to make disciples. But God has given you some specific task and gifting within the disciple-making process that has you living out a clear calling. The clearer our calling is, the more passionate we're going to be about fulfilling the desires of God. And then there's that idea of dying little deaths every day. Listen to these words of Jesus. I should say John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. People hated Jesus. That's unbelievable, right? How could you hate Jesus? I, I, just, I just made food for 10,000 people. Ah, yeah, He's a jerk. I, how can you hate Jesus, right? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He says, every day you're going to die a little. Every day you're going to die a little. In, in Luke 9, he says, "Whatever, whoever wants to be my disciple, here it is, discipleship, right? Must deny themselves. Boy, We don't want to hear that, do we? If you're going to grow in discipleship, you don't come first. You're going to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self, forfeit their soul? He says every day I'm just doing a little denying, a little denying, I'm dying a little more to me every day. I'm getting more connected to Christ as I die a little bit every day. Disciples make disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. Now we look at that and we say, oh, Jesus is talking about dying on the cross. Jesus is talking about all of us. That the the greatest way we show love is by giving ourselves up for someone else crying out we won't even give them the remote. Ah, mine, I'm controlling this. We actually have two remotes in our family, which is really kind of fun. Every once in a while, we get in a little remote war. But um, I win, of course, because I take out our batteries. But anyway, <laughs> if you're going to get involved in disciple mating, this is what it's going to mean. You're going you're to be involved in dying for someone else. You're going to sacrifice for someone else. You're going to give up some of your me time for them. You might might even give up some of the credit you would have received for doing something so they can. Dying a little, dying a little, dying a little in order to help someone else grow in their relationship with Christ. Christ and then we grow in Christ's likeness. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. He says it's all about growing in Christ's likeness, not just doing things Jesus tells you to do, but actually becoming like Jesus. This, this is a disciple. We've talked about this verse so many times, Romans eight twenty nine, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. He wants us to grow in Christlikeness. All these things are marks of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so I ask you today, what is our mission? What is our mission? Our mission is to make disciples. That's it. Everything else is fluff and noise. Everything else may may sound good, may sell well in the newspaper, whatever, but if we're not making disciples, it's fluff and noise. It's a waste of time. Are we living out our mission? Are we living it out individually? Are we living it out collectively? Are we doing the mission? We have to ask ourselves that as we're going through this week and, and thinking about this idea of living on mission. Are we living it out as individuals? Are we living it out as Southfield? Are we making disciples really? I'll give you three just really practical connections here as we close. Three things that matter. The first is this. I'm, I'm excited out of my skin about what's coming with LifeWise okay? I mean, we're, we're starting, it, it's, it's progressing, it's progressing. This is that, that approach that we're going to be able to take to actually take advantage of, of what is in the law, to have kids come over here to your church during school time and receive see religious character instruction. Uh, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, and it's unfolding. And the way it's working right now, I love this, we're going to be the first and perhaps the only church in Illinois doing this next year, which means what? Not we get to say, "Look at us." We get to say, "And we'll help you get it going too." We'll, so here we are, bringing kids into this place to hear about Jesus when they when they're supposed to be over at school. Now they're here, hearing about Jesus, and then we're going to help other churches to do the same. This is about as unique a disciple-making ministry as we have had come our way in as long as I can remember. It's, this isn't all of us just coming to our holy huddle. This is truly us getting out and influencing the world for Christ. I mean, it is, it's, we're going to have a real opportunity here. This is amazing. This is disciple-making. Let me give you the second. I already, I already talked about Quest, but I'm coming back. For whom are you going to be Ann Gellert? Ann Gellert and Orlem Wilhite are in heaven today. I'm 60 years old in a month. And for over 30 years, they have been responsible for what I do every week and every day. Two people who were willing to share their story and share their life in order that I could enter into a relationship with God and know that this is a holy calling that God wanted on my life. And it started because a woman who had already done her time in Africa, for crying out loud, decided to spend every Sunday night from 5.30 to 6.30 with first to third graders. Nobody, nobody would have said to Ann, Ann, why aren't you using your gifts? They'd have said, well done, good and faithful service. Go sit down. And at 70 or 40 or whatever it was, there she was teaching me. You have the chance to impact a life for Jesus. You have a chance to be a kid's Ann Gellert. I know some of you do the whole, I don't really do kids. I get that, you know. I mean, sometimes you're just like, oh my word, what did I sign up for? But you know the problem with a church full of people who says they don't do kids? They look around the room and say, where are all the kids? You know why there are a lot of kids here? Because we have people who believe that kids can come to Jesus. I'm telling you, just this once, would you please do it? Be a Kids Ann Gellert. Sign up for the four days. Sign up for the four days. Be a small group leader. You may love it. You may hate it. It really doesn't matter. You're supposed to die a little every day. That's your mission. We'll we'll give you major death for four days. (laughs) A lot of death credits coming, all right? (laughs) Do it, do it. And then the third, and I'll close with this. I am not a person as a pastor who's pushed vocational ministry a lot. I think to some degree the Church of Jesus Christ, the evangelical church, was done a great disservice by people talking about the concept of full-time Christian ministry as if there were those of us that are always devoted to Jesus, and then there are those of you that do your Jesus thing for an hour every week, and you're done. I'm bothered by that. That feels feels very priest in the laity instead of we are all the priesthood of believers. I believe that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for Jesus, you are a minister for him. You're a disciple-maker for him. Now let me say the other side. The Church of Jesus Christ is desperate for godly leadership. We have a leadership void right now, we really do. Talked to a person yesterday, their church waited for two years to find a pastor. And we're seeing it again and again and again. Our, our cousin's church, that is large up in Gurney, two years without a pastor. We need pastors, we need missionaries, we need worship leaders. We need church administrators. We need people who will take on the task of being involved in carrying the work of Jesus Christ, of, of training God's people, as Ephesians 4, 11, 12 says, to do the work of ministry. I say that to the front row. And to those of you that are in college, trying to figure out what you're going to do, counting beans for the rest of your life, You have fun with beans, but I'm telling you what, this is a blast. This is the best. Would you take some time to consider whether or not God is calling you to be involved in a vocational way in his kingdom work? I promise you, you don't just die little deaths in this role. They're big ones every day. And they're all worth it. I was moved years ago. I went to a conference, Kim and I did. And the theme of the conference was Acts 20, 24. Paul's talking at the end of his life. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only, my only aim is to finish the race. I'm telling you what, I want to make sure I, I am not stumbling across the stinking finish line. I'm not doing like a bunch of these other morons that get to 60 and say, now I'm falling off for Jesus. No way. I want to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of, his gospel, of, of God's grace. This should be the role, goal for every one of us. Not, oh, I had enough in retirement to make it to the end. Really? Come on! I gave my life fully and completely, every last drop for Jesus. That's the mission of the church, individually and collectively. And so God... Awaken us to the calling within us, whether that calling is to, is to continue to, to build a machine and influence the people around me, or that calling is, is to literally be involved as a missionary or a pastor. Help us to live out this calling of making disciples for Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give you again your your lenten devotional today uh talking about a a man in the bible who desperately needed jesus and the same way we do as well let's watch together
1: through a man who'd never seen the world a day in his life whose sight was taken before he breathed the air of this earth who many believed to be the very evidence of sin You presented astonishing evidence of your divinity. First with intimate touch to his deepest wound. Then with bold methods that no one could understand. And next, specific commands to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This man who'd never seen hope a day in his life, he obeyed. Mud caked on his useless eyes, another mask to hope. But he trusted your word to him. Walking perilous paths to get to the pool you commanded him to go to. Reaching in faith for the water he couldn't see. He washed. He was healed. He testified but was rejected by those blinder than he. Nevertheless, he worshipped you as the Messiah. The Son of Man. Amen.
0: And so as we walk to communion today, do two things. First of all, celebrate and thank God that Jesus washed your blind eyes so you can see. You can see. There are times, I promise you, in this world that that you talk to people and you're like, how can they not get it? Because God washed your blind eyes so you can see. But then would you also make the commitment to be involved in helping other people to see? Make the commitment to be a maker of disciples, a person who helps them to see the reality they could have if they just come into a relationship with God. Communion is at the front of the room. In the back of the room, we walk to communion. There's gluten-free stations on either side of the stage as well, and there's a gluten-free station at the back. Take time with communion today to thank God for healing your blind eyes and to commit to being involved in helping other people to see as well. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for ever so beautifully healing those blind eyes and for healing our blind eyes. And God, I pray that we would care about nothing else but helping other people see too. We love you, Jesus. The mission is simple and clear. Jesus showed us how it works. Jesus told us what to do. He said, become a disciple so you can make disciples. That's it. That's why you're here. The rest is stuff and noise. And so this week, wherever you are, at home with the kids, and they're driving you crazy, make disciples. You're in a classroom, you're making disciples. You're you're making widgets, and you're making disciples. Anywhere we are, whatever we're doing, we're making disciples. And think about it. When this life is done, Why in the world are you doing anything else? Why? Be an Ann Gellert to someone. Let them see what Jesus looks like through you. you know, that lady's been in heaven probably now for 30, 40 years. And I promise you, she'd say one thing to me today. She'd say, oh, Dennis, stop talking about me and start talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. We are always pointing people to God. That's why we're here. And so live out the mission this week, individually and collectively. Let's live out the mission of making disciples. We'll see you next week.